Good morning, good morning, and good morning, and welcome to yet another episode of Popping Off with Feel the Podcast. Happy Tuesday, co-host. Thanks for tuning in. I know many of us are sequestered in our homes or our designated places of quarantine, and I just want to say thank you. Thank you to everyone who's taking this thing seriously. Thank you to everyone who is making themselves a committee of one to do their part to help decrease and mitigate the spread of COVID-19. I think it's important that we lay down those apathetic ways of thinking and really look at this holistically. Uh, The reality is many of us have been and could possibly be infected. And unless you're a critical case, you won't get a test. So you won't know for sure. But just like Idris Elba, you could be asymptomatic And you could be the very person who is helping to increase the spread of the infection. I literally got an email from my doctor's office yesterday that said, if you've been in the office since March 9th till today, there's a a good chance that you could have been exposed to COVID-19. I was in the office on March 16th. That means eight days ago, (laughs) I was possibly exposed, which says to me that Somebody from that office has probably had a positive test. Do I feel fine? Yes. Um, Do I have any symptoms? No. It's been seven days, seven plus days at this point, and I haven't exhibited any of the symptoms that they're talking about. But it's my responsibility to make sure that I self-quarantine so that if, in fact, I have contracted the virus or the infection, that I don't put others at risk. Um, It's the least that I can do. You know, it's the least that I can do. So I I am asking, I'm begging, I'm imploring you all to do the same thing. I have called upon social media from Facebook to IG to Google Duo to Marco Polo um, to Microsoft Teams for work. And, you know, any any way I could connect with someone. I've had virtual happy hours. Well, I have a virtual happy hour coming up. I've had virtual, what we call family time, family dinner with two of my besties here in Atlanta. Uh, I have been on IG. I mean, sorry, not IG. Well, I have been on IG. I did like a little singing thing with my best friend Britt back home. We're going to do something today on Zoom. Uh, There are so many ways that you can connect with people where you don't feel so isolated, even though you're alone. Um, um, I, that's what I'm saying. I message I've done. I message chats with a couple of my groups. Um, just been thinking of ways to, to stay connected. I tell people all the time I'm 60, 40, I'm 60% extrovert, 40% introvert. So there is a part of me that enjoys being home in my own space, not really having to go out, not really having to interact but that 60% does get kicking and those those avenues really help in, in, in when you can't really get out. You know, I understand people have to go to essential places. Unfortunately, some people are considered essential employees and still have to go to work. So God bless them. Hope that they're staying safe and, and being as precautionary as they possibly can. But, you know, for the rest of us, you kind of have to step outside of yourself and think about how you acting carelessly um, and kind of ignoring what medical professionals are asking of us, um, the effects. I was reading the example yesterday. It was like, you know, Karen was exposed to COVID-19. 
she went four or five days without showing any symptoms then the symptoms popped up but in that time frame karen's infected 10 people and now those 10 people have gone home to their families or they've gone to other events socially and now they've infected other people and that's how fast this infection is spreading don't don't be don't be don't be dismayed because people try to come on television and try to tell you that it's not a big deal or the the cure can't be more painful than the than the, than the actual problem that's all a bunch of bull that's all a bunch of bull i want the economy to upswing too my 401k is in the is in the in the tank too i don't want anyone to have to lose their job um i don't want anyone to be laid off i don't want anyone to be in a situation where they can't take care of their children and their families and their homes but i do want everybody to be healthy because if we find ourselves in a situation where we just go back to normal and we really don't have a handle on things all of those things that we're working for or have worked for all of those things that we want and want to return to won't be there or we won't be around to enjoy it and that's way worse but that's my little tidbit on that today is a special episode i'm really excited i've been talking to you guys about incorporating guests experts on certain subjects and today is the day um and what better day when we all have been under quarantine rules um quarantine guidelines and because of that many of us were home this weekend and got an opportunity to tune into the madam cj walker docuseries on netflix so i want to talk a little bit about that today but I didn't just want to give my opinion on things and how I felt. I haven't said anything on social media. I actually made the mistake of reading what someone else posted before I saw it. And you know, anytime you do that, anytime you read a review, it slants your perspective. Um, but I think even, even if I hadn't, because I did know a little bit about Annie, uh, Malone and a little bit about Madam C.J. Walker because I did a uh, Black History Month post on Annie Malone earlier this year well in February uh, I think I still would have been able to pick up on some of the nuance that was there that I don't really think served the story made for good television don't get me wrong it made for good television but I don't think it served the story and so I have invited, I've asked, I begged, no, I didn't beg, I didn't have to beg, but I asked my, my Morehouse brother, who is a historian in his own right, who is a collector of African-American artifacts, um, who has some pieces from uh, both Annie Malone and I believe Madam C.J. Walker's you know her their collection i believe he has pieces within his collection uh to come on and kind of talk about it and give his perspective um talk about what was historically correct and wasn't and i'm, I'm really looking forward to having this conversation because i think we have different views and i think that that's important that's exciting i think that there are some things that we definitely agree on i feel like because i have so many friends who are archivists and historians i am sensitive to their community i'm sensitive to their work and the, the importance of their work and the message that they try to get out the messaging that they try to get out to people about preserving artifacts pre preserving materials and documents and how important that is and so he's gonna come on it's my brother eric majet um i don't want to say too much about what we're going to talk about other than 
what we're going to talk about, but I'm going to let him come on and we're going to kind of get into it. And I hope you guys really, really enjoy it. So stay tuned. This is the first time I'm doing segments. I'm really excited. So this is like segment one, like my introduction. It's really dope. Anyway, um, I look forward to you guys joining in. And as always, please like, please comment, please tell me what you think. Uh, I look forward to it. All right. I'll be right back. Peace. As promised, here we are with uh, the second half of today's episode. Um, I'm excited to have my first uh, actual co-host, live co-host on the actual show, Mr. Eric Majette. Hey, brother, what's going on? Hey, Phil, how's everything? Everything is great. Everything is great. So I've already kind of prompted our co-host what's going on today. We're going to talk about... Um, self-made, inspired by the life of Madam C.J. Walker. It's the the Netflix uh, original that dropped this past weekend, which many people watched because they were home social distancing. So (laughs) I think it's the perfect thing to actually talk about. Um, Like I've been telling people before, I've always wanted to bring co-hosts actually on the show, people who I feel are experts in a particular subject matter, people who I respect and I admire their opinions. Um, who can talk about things from a different perspective. A lot of what I say are, you know, my opinions on things. Not that I don't do some research, but this is something that I think is really, really important. And so that's why I wanted to talk about it. So just tell us a little bit about who you are, what it is you do, so the people will understand why I selected you to be on the show today. Okay, well, I I understand this is a esteemed privilege. (laughs) Being the first... (laughs) guest on your show so I appreciate it I am uh, for those that don't know I am your Morehouse brother Uh, we went to school together Um, but not only that I am a a historian I have the pleasure of being known or given the title by Dick Gregory as the keeper of the jewels Um, since college actually before college I started before then but uh, I have collected and amassed a amazing collection of upwards of 10,000 pieces um Oh boy, Um, I am the founder of the African American Cultural Heritage Collection, and uh, I actually do traveling exhibits. Um, I have spent my life dedicated my time and put my money where my mouth was Mm. and have literally spent every dime that I've ever earned buying back our history. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. (laughs) <laughs> if, you, if you don't if you say so yourself right <laughs> well, listen, I have to say so myself I spent so much doggone money um, you only they, they say that you can tell where someone's uh, heart is by where they put their money uh-huh. and uh, my heart and my soul is with our history our people preserving it and that's one of the most important things um, and legacies so far in my life that I've, I've created thus far so I, I really am dedicated to making sure our history is preserved. That's why I had to um, speak out against this atrocity. <laughs> I'm not um, atrocity. Yes, it, it, because <laughs> what they did was they got. Okay, well, actually, I don't want to jump ahead. So I, I follow your lead. Okay. So what I want to <laughs> say is the reason why I wanted you to you to to be here is because I made the mistake, and I told the co-host earlier. I read a review. Mm-hmm 
a little review, not much, but it was just somebody mm-hmm. I, I follow on social media who basically talked about what they didn't like about the docuseries before I read it. Prior okay. to that, most of the people were like, oh, I think it was great. I think I loved right. it. It right. was wonderful. And, and what I will say and what I said earlier is I think that the story that was told was entertaining. It was good TV. I don't even know if it was good TV, um, <clears throat> but well, I mean, it was entertaining for those that don't know the history. Yeah, and I it was, was even speaking to someone. I was even speaking to someone yesterday who was like, "I really, really liked it. Mm-hmm. I didn't know much about what was going on, and that's kind of why I wanted to talk about it. Not mm-hmm. to necessarily say that what was done wasn't put together well. It's just that it was inaccurate, and so for some people, because mm. it, <laughs> which is why you're here. <laughs> the, the point I'm trying to make is there is it, there are two sides to the coin. There are black people who didn't know anything about it and mm-hmm. and and enjoy what they saw. <laughs> and there there are other people who are familiar or you know are familiar with the story for various reasons and have a different perspective. So that's what we're here to talk about the different perspectives. Because honestly, a friend of mine had posted. Um, she had just finished the book, The Story mm-hmm. of the First Six African Americans Who Survived Slavery and Became yes. Black Millionaires, mm-hmm. Black Fortunes, which is by Shamari Wills. Yes. And she was really excited about seeing the docu-series because she had <laughs> just finished the book. And so I was but like, well, let me right know. Book. Okay, well, okay. I get what you're saying. But she had read this book, and because she had read this book, she had learned about Absolutely. both Annie Malone and Madam C.J. Walker. So she Absolutely. was really curious to see how closely the series was going to tell the story that she had read in that book and I was like okay well let me know what you think and she was like I'm 30 minutes in and I'm irritated but I'm gonna push I saw that post that's the funny part yeah (laughs) yeah but I'm gonna push through I'm gonna finish it you know because I think it's important that you do see something through to the end before you pass a final judgment which is why I wanted to watch it and I was kind of upset that I saw that post because I think that it colored a little bit of what I saw, even though I don't think it would have taken me long to pick up on some of the nuances that people felt were problematic. So, I, what I will say is this. I just learned about Annie Malone myself. Um, I was invited to the reopening or the relaunching of Slow Mo, which is a cultural music magazine that was founded here in Atlanta. And they were having the relaunch at the Madame Museum, which is on Hillard Mm -hmm. Street, which is in the same building as the uh, SCLC. Mm -hmm. Uh, Although the SCLC's address is Auburn, but it's the corner. So you get what I'm saying. It's the the same building. building. Right, it's the same building. And so walking in there, seeing all the different things, you know, the, the I don't want to call him a curator because that might be the improper word. Well, I mean, (laughs) I think that is his... It is a museum. So the curator there, the guy who's there who owns that particular Uh space, spoke about, you know, this was one of the salons. Um, He spoke about different things that he had that, you know, he was like, these are actual tools that were... Um, that were used by people who, you know, who were working in the shop. I mean, he, he did not necessarily say that, oh, this is what Madam C.J. Walker used. These are just things that you would have seen that would have been used in the shop during yes, the time. It was, it was an and, Walker salon. Absolutely. Okay. And so he, there was a picture there of Andy yes. Malone. And so there was a little blurb that I read and I was like, oh my goodness, I didn't know because yeah. we only hear about Madam C.J. Walker. Mainstream. Absolutely. You know, oh yeah, you know you can you only are, have one. 
Yeah, if you're a historian, <laughs> if you are if you are somebody who's into African-American history and you actually spend the time researching that type of deal, then you may know more, but I didn't know. And so I thought it was perfect. And she was one of the first individuals I highlighted in my Black History Month post, which I do every every February. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things that I did say is that, you know, some people have said that Madam C.J. Walker benefited off of the fact that in terms of timing, mm-hmm that Annie Malone was in some financial distress. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's kind of the reason why she was white. Yes, she was first. Yes, she achieved these things. But, you know, nobody ever really talks about it. And there wasn't much that I had seen where, you know, Madam C.J. Walker had said, oh, I owe a debt of gratitude yeah, no. to Annie Malone for this or no. that, which is very different from situations like with Leontine Price. Leontine Price is very clear that she would not be an opera singer had it no. not been for Marion Anderson. Right. Um, and many opera singers such as Jesse Norman, right. um, God rest her sweet soul, mm. Kathleen Battle have said the same things. I would not be who I am without Leontine Price. Um, you know, Debbie Debbie Allen has said without Catherine Dunham, I would not be, you know, so you know about this and that wasn't necessarily the case in the story, which doesn't necessarily mean that there was bad blood per se. It's just that she didn't bring her up. So tell us a little bit about Annie Malone because that's who we don't know about. And I don't know if what was depicted on screen is the best oh, God. <laughs> representation of who well, she was. The, they did not use Annie Malone's life in there that was a created character that was a composite they said of things that she um that madam walker uh encountered so they were themes and it was a situational character um that they made up to represent several um themes of the time okay so yeah so but at so the same time to- it was a, a character assassination because it was so closely um, named after the person that she was mentored by, employed by, and a 90% fictional, probably 95% fictional account um, <laughs> was made. Now, the, the bad okay. part about it is that, I have, that that's very misleading. But they put it okay. clearly out there is that this was called self-made, inspired by the life of Madam C.J. Walker. Mm-hmm. What they did was they licensed the the book for its factual content, but they didn't have to use it. Okay, that was just for validity. Gotcha. So, so is that the title of the book? Actually? No, it's not. The title okay. of the book was actually called "On Her Own Ground." Okay. And who's the author of that? That's book? That's Leah Bundles. That's the um, okay. the great 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 granddaughter of Madam C. J. Walker. Um as you know because everybody's like wait how did she have a granddaughter when her daughter didn't have any kids her as you saw in the story her um her daughter adopted formally in 1912 um alilia's great great grandmother or great grandmother excuse me uh which was perry she was known as fairy may um in the in the movie which was her legal name but may walker is who um was alilia's great grandmother Okay, so that's part of the five percent. That's factual. Correct. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. That's that's the gotcha. little part. There was a lot of stuff that was fictionalized. The um, okay. the contention between her and her husband, fiction. The the alleged cheating, 
were told that was actually a uh, fiction. Uh, okay. Oh, God. Annie, Addie Malone was 100% fiction. Well, one thing I did notice, I, I mean, what Addie I was Monroe. saying... I'm sorry. Annie Monroe, yeah. What, one thing I, I was... Oh, her daughter. That's what you're talking about, right? No, Addie, Addie, no, Addie. Monroe was the, the, the rival. That was a totally made-up character. That was um, loosely based off of, which you can tell by the name recognition or, or, or its resemblance, which was supposed to be Annie Malone. Okay. Gotcha. Which gotcha. was total character oh. assassination. Gotcha. Gotcha. Which was the, okay. I get what you're saying. I follow. The names are so close. Right. Exactly. To and then on Link, top so of like I'm a little Lilia, uh, Walker, which was Lilia, um, she added the apostrophe A, um, the A apostrophe um, later on in her life. Um, okay. when she was an adult but also that's the daughter that was a total fictionalized mm-hmm. account she was not a lesbian she did not have a lover the person that they the girl that they made up that she had this um, this interaction with was a completely fictional character mm-hmm. so there were mm-hmm. so many misconceptions whole lies um, half truths or quarter truths um, it was really a disservice to Madam Walker's legacy and also to Annie Malone's total contribution. Annie Malone was the first. Right. I guess, I guess the funny part, of, and I don't know if people walked away like, ooh, Annie Malone really was a bit... Yeah, like, I don't that's, know if that's, that's what, what people, everybody's saying. It's like, oh my God, I can't how believe she have done how this? Yeah, black right. women fought like this. No, that was not real. That was totally Hollywood quote-unquote creative licensing, a.k.a. lies. so so what i will say is this so the one thing that i did notice right off the bat was that they made annie malone's character or the the character that was loosely portrayed um they made her very extremely they made her fair skin and annie malone was not a fair skin which caramel colored woman which i thought added to you know it made sense it added to the whole story so if they make her a light-skinned woman Mm -hmm. and they make it so Basically, what she was saying is the reason why she didn't want um, Madam C.J. Walker to be one of her licensed uh, sellers. Kind of like, this is like this pre- this like the early days of Mary Kay. The reason why she didn't want her to be a seller is because she didn't think people would buy the product because of the way that she looked. Well, l- so, let's, let's make a, a, a definitive line in, in the same. Mm-hmm. Addie Monroe was a made-up character, period. Okay. She has no type of actual um, resemblance to the actual real character, or excuse me, the real person. I, I really want to make that division so people understand. That was not based off of Annie Malone. That was a total made-up character. Uh, that way people understand that um, that was not who the actual person Annie Malone was, because it was the total opposite. Everything gotcha. was completely okay. opposite. So I think that's something that we need to make a distinction so people don't get the two crossed um, where they think that, you know, some of it's Annie Malone, some of it's, uh, you know, not. That was not Annie Malone. That was not based on Annie Malone factually at all. So that was just gotcha. a made-up character. So no real contention Nothing. or Nothing. or drama between... Annie Malone and Madam C.J. Walker there was that, one we are, issue. that we're aware of. There was one okay. issue. And that and was what's that, that issue? Madam C.J. Walker stole her formula. 
there's two different sets of stories that's told. Um, okay. One was that she had stole the recipe. Nobody says how. But later mm-hmm. on, the story that Madam C.J. Walker shared with her, um, her close confidant, which also was the president of several of her um, her colleges, um, and that was the story that we've heard historically. And that was that um, once she moved to Denver, there was a pharmacist that she was working with, a chemist, and he offered her um, to analyze Annie's formula so that she can actually create her own. Okay. And that's the story that even Alilia Bundles told in the book. And gotcha. the documentary that they put together in the uh, 60s and 80s, I believe it was, um, from footage from... The 60s and 80s? Yeah, because it, it was long? reissued. Yeah. <laughs> okay, did the first, gotcha. You know, first stuff early on, um, which was Marjorie um, Joyner, which was, um, she was one of the presidents of the company. Uh, okay. And that, she told that story from, she said she was told that story from Madam C.J. Walker. So gotcha. it was a fact that they're trying to skate over. Now, um, Alilia Bundle said that, you know, it wasn't true. That's not true. Okay. Because people <laughs> older than her knew the story, and one of her close confidants, Madam C.J. Walker's close confidant, also repeated that story in a documentary that came from um, the actual Walker Company. Okay. So, wow. So, that an, another piece of the story that that's part of that 5%. <laughs> right. <laughs> See, it's growing. Right. It's, it's well, probably and it's funny a little bit bigger than you said. She was a little said. irritated with that fact. She was like, and that's not true. And I'm just like, hmm. But it's been documented that it is. Hello. <laughs> okay. Gotcha. <laughs> gotcha. But again, what you said, like you said, we, we talked about this uh, earlier when we were kind of briefing. Right. Um, what is it revisionist yes history. Revisionist history. What is, that's right yeah so that's kind of you know making these revisions to the way things were in order to kind of spin the story right. because obviously if there wasn't if there wasn't this colorism tension right. between Addie Monroe the character Addie Monroe and the character Madam C.J. Walker mm-hmm. this is how we'll distinguish yes there wasn't this <laughs> if there wasn't this uh, issue of colorism between them mm-hmm. then you wouldn't have anything to build on the alleged affair or the way that the affair was played right. out because you know she was like you know what the character madam cj walker says to her husband um cj mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> uh, is that um it could have been anybody else uh-huh. but it was that high yellow hell right and so she definitely you know she she fed into it like she would she struggled the character as a absolutely dark did. woman right the character she did. struggled as a dark-skinned woman um and 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 that was part of the thing. And that you know, was that, not the reality of Madam C.J. Walker. Let's just make that clear because a lot of people that, you know, they're taking this as an account because that's what it was presented to us as. That this okay. was the biopic or biopic, if you, you know, if you're regular, um, mm-hmm. of Madam C.J. Walker. <laughs> not if you're regular. Right. If you're pedestrian, you say. No, I'm joking. Right. <laughs> so, you know, this was sold to us that this was going to be the first biography of Madam C.J. Walker and it wasn't. This is a fictional account just like they fictionalized Harriet. Now the common point that most people don't know is that the same director was the person that actually did both stories. Mm. And I know a lot of people have, I, I tell people all the time I'm a horrible movie goer. Mm-hmm. I had every intention on seeing Harriet because I it was am a, great a fan of Cynthia. movie not a historical. Okay. <laughs> it was because I'm a fan of Cynthia Reba. Mm-hmm. Um 
And I know that people had, you know, there was a lot of things about that. They didn't believe that the account was true because, of course, at some point there was a white savior. Right. They created characters that Hollywood Um, um, expected and required. People were upset with the fact that uh, Harriet Tubman was portrayed by a British actress as opposed to an African-American actress. Another thing about colorism. Uh, and actually, yeah. beyond colorism at that point, is nationalism. <laughs> but <Yeah. laughs> I, I understand both because we do have um, we have a native um, native uh, ah, black. Uh, see, it's hard to actually put that into perspective because it's awful. We we have we have African American actresses right. who are closer exactly. to that understand more uh, uh, more the, the, the struggle of slavery and she doesn't understand like that. Yeah. it. And I, and I have right. to make that distinction also. They have, you know, some racism over in Britain as well. So she mm-hmm. just is not a, a direct descendant of it. And that's the only distinction that I would make. Okay. She's not a direct right. descendant of it here in Americanist, uh, American version of, well, the worst form of racism and uh, <laughs> slavery <laughs> in the world. But um, yeah. Yeah, that's a whole nother story. But okay, you know, it, it's it's one of those things that it's almost as if there was an agenda. Um, mm-hmm. That our story, our history, is not enough. That's that not rich enough without creating some type of spin. And I don't do yeah. this to a lot of, um, of of the white history or white stories because it's already been sensationalized. It's mostly lies anyway. You know, you're, you're, well, yeah. um, Dick Gregory <laughs> put it to me best. He was, oh no, actually, that was uh, Marcus Garvey's uh, son. He said, the, <laughs> when you think about it, the story is told by the winner. It's not necessarily told from the perspective of what happened, it's the quote unquote winner's account. So if you had to uh, tell a story of, you know, the lamb and the uh, lion, you're going to get the lion's account. And it's going to be embellished, yeah. and it's going to be tilted to his story. And that's you know the funny is. thing is, <laughs> yeah, the funny thing is, is that um, before I came to college, obviously I'm from the Midwest. I'm from Detroit, mm-hmm. uh, which you will argue Country. south. Yeah. But uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> but that's not the, that's not the point I'm trying to make. The point I'm trying to make is when you when you're from the south, if it's not the south, it's the north. Right. So people don't really do the distinctions of whether you're a Midwesterner right. or whether you are North or whether you're North, you know, Northeastern. Mm-hmm. It's just you're from the right. North. And so when I was in middle school, we watched Gone with the Wind. Of course. Uh, of course which was which was one of my favorite movies mm-hmm. because of the drama of it all, you know. And then obviously as I get in as I got older and got into, you know, black history, realizing you know who Hattie McDaniel was, what she represented it, what, what, you know what she represented, what she did. Her Butterfly McQueen as well. I don't right. want to take anything away from her because she's not an Oscar whore winner, right. but you know what Hattie McDaniel stood for mm-hmm. and how long she stood in that gap yeah. before someone else. I mean, from from the early '30s to 1990, right. we, there was Absolutely. not another african-american woman to win an academy award so i mean that's a big 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 deal um but you know i saw that movie and i was like oh well that's exactly how the civil war played out and it wasn't until i came down (laughs) south having that conversation with friends and it was like nah bruh like you know what i'm saying but but the union won right so you're right so (laughs) that's the way that the story was told i mean and it was it was dramatized of course i'm sure things didn't play out exactly the way that it happened there Mm -hmm. but i love that film 
I still love that film yeah. for various reasons because right. it's great for lives. Mm-hmm. But it's also a really good story. <laughs> but it, like you said, the winner gets to tell their account, right? And that's what is highlighted. Absolutely. You know, that's 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 what we that's what we believe. Right. Um, I mean, that's even the current today when you look at the um, the the president here, um, Donald Trump. He gives his account of what he says is going to be his version of the truth right right they've been yeah. doing it forever <laughs> it, it's like nothing new you know who they are surprised. people always talking about that do you know who they are I no, sure I'm do. don't let's you not do let's too. not go into that. <laughs> <laughs> but, no. but really oh, before yeah. we go mm-hmm. I, I think that it's very clear I, I, what i really wanted you to do and what i really wanted to talk about is just how important it is for us to be um, to be a, to to study to show our the, to show ourselves approved, yes, sir, and not necessarily take things for face value. That's one of my dad's favorite sayings. Absolutely, you know, obviously it's a Bible verse, but it's one of those things where don't just accept what's presented. Mm-hmm. I think even had I not read um, some early reviews before I watched the story, I would have taken issue with the fact that um, there was this this light skin dark skin struggle yeah. that was very prominent. I would have taken issue with the fact that they made her husband a philanderer. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know the real reason as to why they got divorced. Doesn't really matter. You know what I'm saying? Um, but, you know, the way that that was kind of portrayed and the way that he treated her and the way that he tried to benefit him and his new wife, apparently, tried to benefit off her name because she was going to be Madam C.J. Walker, too, because, hey, you know, that's kind of how it works. You know, different things like different elements like that. And I didn't want people to get caught up in the fact that they were getting an opportunity to see a story that wasn't necessarily about slavery. Because, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of black folks won't watch shows about slavery because they was like, I'm tired of us always being a slave. Well, this wasn't us us being slaves. This was, you know, post-slavery. But there were still some of those same elements from slavery. Right. <laughs> like colorism that were kind of brought to the forefront and I think it kind of distracted from the story and at the time because again we're thinking that this this Addie Monroe is based off of Annie Malone that, I mean you know Annie Malone that's only well, most people didn't even know parallel of Annie Malone so who, who, <clears throat> exactly but I'm saying now that people are actually looking right. it up they're not going to find Annie Monroe right. they're going to find Annie Malone right. and then they're going to be like Oh well, she was this horrible <laughs> right. woman who was, who, <laughs> who, who was a mulatto right. who didn't have bad hair in the first place, mm-hmm. who was making this product and hiring all of these women to peddle her product, who also had good hair because they was mulatto. Because that's the way that the story is told. Right. So before we go, I do want you to tell us a little bit about Annie Malone. I think that we have been inundated with Madam C.J. Walker. So tell us a little bit about. Annie Malone and why she's important, especially to the success mm-hmm. of Madam C.J. Walker. Okay, I'm going to try to try to give you the short version um, because there's so much... Try to- your best. You got five oh, minutes. Lord, no, that's it? <laughs> oh, God. No. But this woman actually is major to Black history and, tech- and, and also American history. She was the first safe, mm-hmm. self-made millionaire, female millionaire. Okay. Mm-hmm. So that's one thing important. We also have to uh, tell the the context. She was a woman that was self-made in the South. She started off in um, in uh, Illinois, 
um, like, you know, mm-hmm. Southern Illinois or whatever. Um, she was orphaned at a very young age, and then she was raised by her older sisters. And okay. um, once she got popular around 1900, she started actually, um, and this woman did not graduate high school. Okay. She, um, okay. she became interested in chemistry and played around with simple chemistry. Um, and also she learned, um, um, I don't want to say beauty culture, we'll say with an aunt. She loved playing with her sister's hair, you know, stuff like that. So it came naturally. And that was one of the trades that she did have. She did hair. She was into cosmetology. She was into cosmetology That's before it was like <laughs> cosmetology, though. Um, right. Nobody, of course, was focusing on black folks here. At the time, you know, mm-hmm. there was a lot of dust mites. There was a lot of um, dandruff. Uh, they couldn't do, you know, any control when it came to their hair. Uh, all the products that were available were lye-based. Um, so, you know, just mm-hmm. it just damaged the hair, everything. So this woman took her basic knowledge of chemistry and also the... Um, ancestral route with a, a great aunt of hers um, with you know um, with salves and different um, remedies home remedies um, that were okay. more towards our culture I'm trying to you know say it in, in culturally uh, <laughs> you know you, I you might have a diverse audience so I'm trying to be as politically correct as possible um, <laughs> you are free you are free to speak as you will okay. <laughs> so um, this woman took her knowledge and grew it. You know, she actually pursued um, finding out and tested stuff just to try to figure out how to make our hair grow. A lot of the women because they okay. were doing and and of course, you know, in-house plumbing stuff, all that stuff was new. But for black folks, it was already told that you needed to, you know, wash your hair once a month, you know, stuff like that. So there was no true care for our hair. And a lot of the women, because mm-hmm. the stress and the um, the lack of scalp treatment and hair treatment, their hair started to fall out. Okay. <clears throat> Annie Malone was the first person that actually came up with a system that was t- um, created to cleanse the scalp and also keep um, um, cleanse the hair as well. Excuse me, I'm also I'm trying to get everything in short uh, in a short time. I understand. So, uh, I'm trying yeah, to get okay. the, the the good bits out first. But uh, we are friends. Right. Long story short, <laughs> um, she established and got popular around 1900. That's when she established uh, okay. the actual products. From there, mm-hmm. within a two years time, she was really big in her area, so she decided to move down to St. Louis. Um, okay. She made it to St. Louis. She was booming at that time. She opened up a shop, and by um, 1903, in St. Louis, they're saying that she had three employees. One of those was Sarah Breedlove. Okay. That sold her products because it grew Sarah Breedlove's hair back. As you saw, right. she was spotty and blotchy. You know? Yeah, right. <laughs> she was she was a bald head scallywag <laughs> uh, with no hair in the back. And so it was all in between. This, it was missing all in between. Right. right. But, but this hair grower gave her back listen, her, gave the her, back her crown hair and glory. Grower literally gave her back her crown and glory. And it was never about, and that was one of the things I have to mention for both of the women. It was never about them trying to straighten their hair. It was trying to grow their hair and actually make their hair manageable. That was the thing. Mm-hmm. They, neither mm-hmm. one of them mentioned anything in their lifetime about straightening the hair. It was never about straightening the hair. So that was something okay. that never actually featured in any of their um, advertisements during their lifetime. After That's important enough. Madam C.J. Walker died, they did bring that part in. 
but she made it a point because that's what she was taught. It's not about, mm-hmm. you know, changing how you look or trying to look like white people. It's making your um, your hair manageable and healthy. That was their yeah. whole point, um, their mission. So Amy Malone uh, literally was one of the most richest black women in the country. She had a worldwide mm-hmm. operation. At the height of her organization, she had over 75,000 agents. Okay? Eat that, Mary Kay. Right. <laughs> She was the basis <laughs> for all of that. Pretty much, yeah. No, that's no, what I was no saying earlier. I was like, there's this. no pretty much. No, she was. She created she the was. door-to-door method. This was what, what this was uncharted territory. And her as a black woman, she was so rich. And, and the woman had such a philanthropic heart. She gave away most of her riches. Mm-hmm. You know, she donated to, you know, uh, Tuskegee. She donated to um, the highest actual um, gift of any individual um, to Howard's medical school, $25,000. Okay? So that's one. Mm-hmm. She uh, gave the money to establish, which was said to be, um, you know, I think she gave them in $5,000 increments. But um, $5,000, and um, it's been reported that she gave $25,000 for the um, the first black YMCA in uh, St. Louis. Okay. Okay? Now, also, you have... She gave for uh, every agent that was with her for five years, she gave them a diamond ring. She also gave them incentives, money incentives for them buying houses. Okay, we're talking about somebody that literally built their life on uplifting black women and giving the black race like a platform to sustain themselves, to not have to be washerwomen. She was literally creating entrepreneurs at an early age or during an early time, I should say. (laughs) She's two years younger mm-hmm. than Madam C.J. Walker. Now, I go back to that. Oh, wow. They were both, well, Madam C.J. Walker was born the, uh, six months after Juneteenth, which is, you know, the year 1867, when the last slaves were freed that we know of. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that we know. <laughs> Let me say right. that part. Um, that, that are recorded. Exactly. <laughs> That's recorded, for real. And um, so Madam, Ma- uh, Annie Malone was actually born two years after uh, Madam C.J. Walker. Okay. So she taught her and over a two-year period. Okay. This was not a, you know, a, a short encounter between these women. This was one of her trusted and top-selling agents, Madam C.J. Walker was. So to make it seem like it was a pass-and-go relationship, um, that there was not any, you know, long encounter there is, is doing it a disservice. It really is. Um, so moving on from there, uh, Annie Malone in 1917 started constructing this building. It was a whole city block. Okay. I mean, okay. It was almost as large as, ooh, I want to say Morehouse, but the, our campus sprawled out. So to give you yeah. some context, it was from Graves Hall over to Clark. Okay. City block. Okay. And it had everything in it. She had a hotel. She had a full school. She had a delivery service. She had her own delivery service. She had an auditorium. Mm-hmm. She had her own um, telephone operators. She had, um, of course, you know, salons. Um, I already said the auditorium. Um, this woman literally had everything that was unheard of for Black people at the time. Mm-hmm. You know? 
like I said, um, she had several hundred employees at that particular location. Um, okay. It cost a half a million dollars and was opened in 1918. Okay. Mm-hmm. This is the craziest thing. It's like, do you know how much a half a million dollars was? Then, then. yeah. <laughs> right, yeah. So we got to really think about what this woman... You can't have this much money or build things of these nature and not be a millionaire. How are you paying for a building yeah. that's $500,000 in 1917 when you start? Right. Okay? The Philadelphia Tribune in 1923 um, printed that in 1924 she would uh, she paid um, the highest tax of anybody in St. Louis, which was over $40,000. Now, to take to pay wow. $40,000 in taxes, how much coins are you making? Let's not. Yeah, you got, <laughs> you, you, got, you got a little money. You got a little right. money if you can afford that much in tax. And right, right at that time period, it was already said and printed that she had made, uh, well, her estate or her, um, her actual value, net worth, was $14 million. Okay, so how can you say that, that somebody else later on who acknowledged in a letter to her business manager that she never made a million dollars in her life? And I'm talking about Madam C.J. Walker. Mm. Madam C.J. Walker, at the time of her death, um, her estate was only valued at somewhere between five, five hundred and six hundred thousand dollars and $600,000. Now, what ad- adds to that valuation was um, her property. So they're saying mm. once you add all that together, it came up about a million dollars. Gotcha. Okay. But at the same time, if you're being that loose with it, now they didn't get the Guinness Book of World Records to record that account until, of course, this generation, which is um, the time of her great great granddaughter doing her story. So I think it was the 80s. If it, uh, I, I really don't remember when they actually gave that designation, but okay. That's actually when that happened. So, and we know from and we know from history, it's not uncommon for African Americans to achieve a standard and then not be recognized. Right. You know, uh, uh, somebody uh-oh. tried to call me. <laughs> I'm yeah. so you sound yeah, you sound a little bit robotic. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, um, so also by that time, Annie Malone had several divorces that took away from her wealth. So that city block in in um, in St. Louis, uh, a lot of that had to be sold off in around. I want to say it was around fourteen when she got divorced from her second husband. Okay, he claimed that okay. which he was he was there during that whole time and, and helped. And he was a principal, and he literally dedicated his life to helping her build this business. But because of this nasty, ugly breakup and this divorce, um, he technically. Um, was supposed to get half. They wound up settling. He got about $200,000 and she had to sell off the campus in St. Louis. By 1930, she had moved okay. to Chicago and bought up a whole block in Chicago of mansions. Okay. And created the new base okay. of Poro College in Chicago. There had been some other issues okay. um, because of that breakup, because of the, um, you know, the property being split up. The IRS said that she owed a lot of money, you know, so a lot of her stuff had dwindled down her 
her riches and everything had dwindled down because of court cases and 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 divorce. So that's how she lost popularity. But gotcha. the last Poro um, location was said to be in Cincinnati, and it didn't close until the 80, uh, 1989. Um, so it still carried on the same length okay. as uh, Madam C.J. Walker, because her company closed in the 80s as well. So the, the, the length was there, okay. but the popularity had dwindled down. And um, by that time, of course, you know, you have... Um, Oh, the one thing that they forgot to add in the story, which was one of the reasons why she was popular, was because she had joined forces with Susan B. Anthony. I'm talking about Madam C.J. Walker. That's another thing they did not mention. Mm-hmm. Madam C.J. Walker had about 40,000 okay. um, agents across the country. And um, so she was big with black women. Of okay. White women tapped for women's suffrage. Mm-hmm. They tapped Madam C.J. Walker because of her influence amongst black women. And... Um, they tapped her to uh, be a part of women's suffrage and join the movement and, you know, give white women rights. <laughs> Let's be real. Uh, <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> Hello. Right, because we've like definitely left movement, out of that movie. You know, that, that people are looking <laughs> for something. They tap black folks. Once they get their own, they like, oh, y'all can go ahead and continue on if you want to. It's not us anymore. It's, oh, okay, all right, y'all do what y'all need to do. Because we got ours. <laughs> Literally, if you trace right, pretty much, pretty much. So, but yeah, that was another thing of Madam C.J. Walker's popularity. Because of that, boom, that literally catapulted her above um, Annie Malone, and also with marketing genius. She was a marketing genius. That was another thing that separated her from Annie Malone. Not that Annie Malone was not. Annie Malone was more focused on her actual product. Madam C.J. Walker, um, Mm -hmm. her innovative thought was hey I'm gonna put my face on this and I'm gonna make it yellow Andy Malone's was kind of like a green green and um a green and white okay. type thing um and it was very plain mm-hmm. had writing all over it she wasn't focused on the actual aesthetics of the product she wanted to make sure the product worked that was her only focus gotcha Madam CJ Walker gotcha. took that and was the marketing genius because she figured that black women would be uh, able to identify with a black face on the products and she did she was right well you know in in the grand scheme of things Mm -hmm. when you are a mentor exactly you do want your mentee to surpass to surpass you you want them to do better you want them to improve you don't necessarily want them to steal your shit and that was but but, you know it happened it was what it was she was still focused gotcha. on her business. There was no chasing. She didn't follow her nowhere. Like all that stuff was just so. No, she uh-uh. she didn't try to sue nope. her. She didn't try to get back it's at her. She didn't business. try to destroy her marriage. She really was international. Uh- <laughs> Annie Malone stuff yeah. was sold over in Africa, South America. Like she was global. She did not have okay. time to focus on any BS and you know little um um trift you know it was something that of course she wouldn't have wanted you know but what are you going to do you already have a multi-million dollar company you got women what are you going to do 70,000 women that trust your actual um products and are selling why are you why do you think somebody would literally waste their time yeah trying to in multiple locations at that she had thousands of locations across the country that she actually came to and then also multiple schools it was over um 
oh, I can't remember the exact number, but it was in the double digits, almost triple of her location that um, they actually had the school. I've got probably about a half a dozen of the original graduation photos from different locations across the country. Um, and also, she had another okay. very famous um, student that most people don't know of, and that's Chuck Berry. And who might that Chuck be? Chuck Berry was a licensed ah. He got the same schooling um, okay. and went through the same choral system that Madam C.J. Walker did. And his hair, look, and his hair proved it. Oh, wow. Listen. Well, he did <laughs> have good hair. That dude was shocked. He did have good hair. He did have good hair. Um, with him and Annie Malone in the photo. That's from 1952. So that's in my collection as well. Oh, wow. Yeah. And, that's uh, that's in awesome. In my collection, I also have original okay, products cool. of Annie Malone. Um, I also have an original um, diploma from the Pearl College. And I also have an original diploma of um, Madam C.J. Walker's School of Beauty Culture. And I haven't seen any museum that has both or one of them, actually. Uh, which is funny. Uh, so, so, so when so when are you gonna do your Madam C.J. Walker slash Annie um, Malone pop up? Uh, the end of February. I did my last uh, my closeout. I was on tour, um, and I did my closeout exhibit here in Atlanta um, at the Black House, uh, hosted by Ernestine and Jay Morris. Okay. Uh, so that was there on the last day of okay. February, and I had my Poro and um, Madam C.J. Walker. It was a two hundred piece exhibit. So I had a little bit of everything. Um, Tulsa, because that's, you know, they're, um, okay. they have the Tulsa Real Estate Fund. And that's actually who owned the building that we were in. So I had um, some of my pieces from Tulsa, uh, from Greenwood. Most people don't know that's Tulsa. So I should say Black Wall Street. Okay. Um, my Malcolm X okay. collection was on display. <laughs> my Marcus Garvey was on display. Um, oh, my gosh. You name it. It was, it was, it was you know, represented in the 200-piece uh, exhibit. That's awesome. So now that we're connected, I'm going to make sure that, right. you know, or reconnected, I should say, I'm going to make sure that when you got these things going on, that we make sure that, that, our, that my co-hosts know. So if they happen to be in a city near you, <laughs> they can check exactly. it out because I think that that's important. And uh, another um, thing that I really want to press on our people is we cannot take, and you said it literally word for word, what, what I said um, in an interview that I did like two days ago. Don't take anything at face value. Mm -hmm. Right now, you can barely count on people to give us our real history because they don't know it. Or they're not interested in telling a full mm -hmm. comprehensive story that's um, totally factual because they think it needs to be over-embellished or over-fictionalized. Um, make sure you do your research. Always do your research because then you won't get... Uh... <laughs> My fifth grade teacher, she was... Um, first black woman I had ever met that had a PhD and she said don't fall for the okie doke okay. she taught my, my, uh, my aunts and yeah. uncles and everybody so she was like that was her last year teaching actually she was like 70 something years old and um, she was just like don't fall for the okie doke and that's really what our people have been spoon fed with this particular series um, it would have been better if it was marketed as this was a um a series inspired by now what I can give them credit this they did say that in the actual title 
self-made, inspired by the life of Madam C.J. Walker. But they told us it was a biopic when they when they actually put the information out there. So it was misleading. And okay. this has allowed people to think that this was a factual account. That's my only issue with the story. It did have some issues. It did have some... Um, it wasn't as cohesive. They added in the whole boxing thing, theme, which made it seem like they didn't have enough uh, substance to, that they added this in there to kind of, you know, string things along. It just, it didn't flow. But anyway, um, but I, you know, I, I wasn't. <laughs> it you know, it, no, no, it is clear you're not a fan. So it's other things, <laughs> like Harriet was a much better cohesive story, even though it was factual. It, it wasn't factual completely. This was kind of gotcha. disjointed and mm-hmm. kind of just strung together by just oddities. <laughs> and I'm trying to be nice because I don't want people to think I'm bashing it because that's not my intention. My only issue was that it's 90% fictional and it has the disclaimer has not been given um, that this was not based on true life stories. This was a fictional account. And um, Right, or, or true characters. But the other thing about <laughs> you know, it, or true characters, that yeah. it kind of makes, um, it puts Alilia Bundles in a precarious situation because they licensed the book from her, so people think that this is based off, and that's what they are marketed as. This was based off of the book. This is so far mm-hmm. from the book, and because she's tied into yeah. it, she can't but- really say anything. You know, it's like. She, she has pointed mm. to it in, in, in very limited terms. Um, I, I think I sent you, if not, I'll send you the, um, because of the podcast that I did a couple of days ago, um, it was released. And because of the response to it, she actually responded to it. And her her response oh, wow. okay. was very calculated. Um, but she did say, and if you want, I can read it um, so people can, can actually know. Um, Go ahead. Okay, cool. Oh, yeah. Like 10 minutes. It's short. It's not really that long. (laughs) Uh, Because she did it on Twitter. (laughs) It's only so many characters. So um, the first tweet she said was, um, it's impossible to condense all facts and nuance from a 250-page book plus 20 years of research into three hours. But if stories are only on the written page, very few people will know them. One takes a gamble with hopes that a film will lead people to the original source. And the series does. And then she responded again. She said, my book on her own ground was option for use of the factual material and is the quote unquote inspiration for the series. But as is standard in practice in Hollywood, the book author doesn't have final say on the script for the uh, original facts. Here's my book. And that was her response. Gotcha. Yeah, it was fair. You, you don't you can't mess up your money. You know, and then she retitled the book for the movie. (laughs) So it's a whole new product now that she's pushing that's bringing light to her actual book. You don't want to come off your nose to spite your face. I understand the situation she's in, but it also kind of made it look bad. Like, Mm -hmm. they're like, why would she write this if it wasn't true? That's, she did not write the script, the screenplay for this series. You know, they credit her as, um, one of the writers because it's loosely based off of her book which is not based off of the book at all because <laughs> the historical yeah. facts that are in the book don't feature the movie you know they're not featured in the movie so gotcha. I feel bad for her because in, in a way because it makes it look like this came from her book and that's why people are thinking it's a factual account mm-hmm. 
that's my only issue with it. Besides you know, the stuff I said about the you know, okay the story, it just. But besides, uh, besides the other ninety percent, well, that, that was fictional. Was not um, great. The no. cinematography <laughs> was great. No, but, the but I'm not. But I'm messing with you. I think I, I think that it did at the core. What it did is it did let people know some things that they some things that they didn't know, you know. And and hopefully, what it will do, um, her her response, this podcast for the people who listen, will push them in the direction of going and doing their own That's research and finding out more things and figuring out what was right and what's not. And I and I'm sure that they will. I have a pretty informed, uh, yeah. Uh, set yeah. of listeners. I call them co-host um, because Absolutely. you know we, we're in this thing together. So I think that people are going to check it out. People are going to be interested about it. Um, and I, I just really appreciate Absolutely. you taking the time to talk with me today, being my first official live it. co-host. Uh, this is one of this is one of my longer podcasts. So we, we hope that the people tune in. And I tried to, I tried to be, but uh, I think very, it's worth it. Uh, short. Um, I hope I was able to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're you're as brief as I remember. <laughs> Thanks, Phil. Thanks, Phil. As brief as I remember. <laughs> but no, but I think that it's important content. Mm-hmm. It's important content. Um, and I know that people, you know, yeah. I, I try to get people to real. You know what I'm saying? When it's something I don't agree with, when it's something that doesn't make that and I've even come back and yeah. said, Hey, I thought about this. Mm-hmm. I think maybe I was wrong. This is what I talked about, you know. And now that it's recorded history, you know, I've been doing this podcast okay. almost two years now, a full two years. And so you go back and you right, listen the evolution. And like, what the hell was Absolutely. I going through last Absolutely. month? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So, you know, it's one of those things. Like I I, I stand by it. I, I stand by what I say. Right. And in that moment, that's what I was feeling. So, you know, I wanted someone to come on and talk about it. I know I knew how passionate you were about mm-hmm. the stories of Ann, of Annie Malone and the the stories of Madam C.J. Walker. So I wanted you to come on and talk about it because mm-hmm. I had my own ideas about yeah. the series. I watched it. It Definitely. was engaging. It kept me engaged. But, also in but, but, but uh, you know, <laughs> but I was on. <laughs> right. With everybody else part. who was watching. Right. So it, when you look back at some of our great movies, you had Amistad. You know, you had mm-hmm. uh, the color purple, which was a fictional story, but hell, that played better than this. You know, it, it's it's a way to actually. Yes. There are better stories, and we have stories and content that are worthy of being told and unadulterated. This was that was my only. Yeah, and I didn't even realize. You know, so funny. I didn't even realize how oh, Debbie yeah. Allen was Absolutely. involved in Amistad. Until I was watching, I was watching a Netflix series. Uh, No, I was watching a Netflix series, and they were talking. And it was an older series, but they were just talking, talking to different black artists. And you know, she was talking about how you know how how is she a champion getting that that film actually on the screen? I was like, wow, something I never would have known. But I ain't gonna hold the people no longer. Thank, Thank you, you for for, for coming on. Thank you for sharing your knowledge. Um, okay. Tell the people your handles gotcha. so they um, can so find my you. IG, my personal IG is at the Mister Majestic, and then um, my museum handle is at the A A C H C, and that's the African American Cultural Heritage Collection. On there, you'll see a lot of the pieces from the collection. Um, both of actually anything you see on my personal page, you'll also see on. No, I take it back. Anything you see on my um, museum page, you'll see on my personal page. Amen, so. Uh, 
So those are my handles. You can find okay. out more about the museum at Black History Archives with an S dot com. And you'll get to see some of the amazing pieces in the collection. Awesome. And brief um, close out. Um, in my collection, it's it's a very, very amazing collection, for one. And um, the earliest co- uh, piece in my collection <laughs> is an original 15th, 15th century map of Africa uh, that actually has the continent called Ethiopia. And the Atlantic Ocean, which was later named, was actually called the Ethiopian Sea. Um, so you have that. And my most contemporary piece is Tupac's first publishing contract. And everything else. Yeah. So I had oh, to wow. throw that in there just to give a little context about um, the full breadth of the museum. Well, that is awesome. I will make sure to follow those pages. I'll make sure to publish them on my. And what I will do is once the podcast actually yes, posts, sir. you know, we'll talk some more and we'll get everything out there so you Definitely. can post it to your page. And hopefully people will draw people in so they can hear about it. Thank Thanks for again for tuning in, everybody. As usual, continue to like, continue to post, continue to share, especially about this. Um, we are quarantined, <laughs> so I know y'all got an hour. So go ahead and listen to it. All right. I love y'all for real. Peace.